Well, hi again, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the podcast, Songwriters and Original Songs. I'm Cool Paradiso, and I'm here in rural Queensland, Australia. Since starting this podcast, two things have really struck me. First, the generosity in time and involvement of so many people, songwriters, musicians, people doing segments, and of course, all of your listeners. So thank you all very much. The second thing that struck me is how darn quick two weeks comes around. I seem to just be finishing and it's time to start again. Um, But hey, we're having fun, aren't we? Today, I think we have a wider selection of music than we've had in in any episode to date, with at least a couple of songs I'd consider to be more alternative. And I think that's great. We always said we would encourage all different kinds of songs into this uh, podcast. So it's good to see we're getting a few like that. We also have the segment, uh, My Favourite Songwriter, and that's with uh, Alex uh, Clagus. Um, our featured artist today is uh, Amanda Easton, and that's a great interview. And, and lastly, we have a different one. We have an artist doing their own introduction to their song, and so we'll, that'll be the last one up, and you'll see that then. So first up today, we have Mike Squire, and Mike's out of New York, um, he's a regular fauna and 5090. Um, Mike is their go-to protest song guy. Um, he's a fine musician, though. I mean, he, he plays all sorts of stuff, but we all know him for his strong views and protest songs, and he does them so well. He's also a contributor to many radio stations. Um, and I do hope I pronounced your name right, Mike, because the trouble is you, you know all these people online, but you never actually get until you start to read that their name and you suddenly think oh I wonder if I'm pronouncing this right but hey I gave them best Mike um, Mike actually was down for a different song um, he writes many many good songs but I heard this one only a couple of weeks ago and I said to him Mike can I put this one in instead and he said yeah sure go for it um, so this is a, a really nice song and it's by Mike Squire and it's called Stop Me If You've Heard It Before Difficult birth, revolutionary war Noble principles, a shining hour Takes a long time to water those flowers Human nature, conflict and greed Half of the nation tries to secede Union prevails with a great emancipator Gunned down by hatred that seems to be greater Strides were made but progress is slow Mansions on a hill but look down below same discrimination with a different name Corporate prison industrial game It's not all bad news 
there's been some success but at its best it's all a work in progress but so much has gone backwards of late witness the rise of the orange face of hate now the plagues seem almost biblical and the challenges are formidable but justice and truth are not invisible a billion together can still make a miracle Stop me if you've heard this before a few battles but win the war but win the Now, I told you, that is a really catchy song. That really is catchy, Mike. Thank you so much for that. And, of course, there's the usual Mike message in there. Next up, we have a guy out of Omaha uh, in the USA, and that is Jerry Pettit. Again, I hope I got your name right, Jerry. Um, Jerry is a songwriter producer with three albums. out. Actually, I think his fourth might be out now as well. He likes all genres of music, but he seems to spend most of his time across the jazz, pop and country. And in fact, I've noticed of late he's going quite country, um, uh, but he's very good across all those genres. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that Jerry and I have sort of a mutual admiration for our styles. We certainly listen and comment to a lot of each other's work. Jerry is the star in the use of Band in the Box, which is a virtual band. It's a great tool that he uses, and he uses it so subtly and so well, and that supplements his amazing crooning skills. So here we have Jerry with At the Holiday Inn. Thank you. 
provider, that's part of the deal. My microphone's packed, I should grab a late meal. Look around for those napkins, no one's left me their phone. Guess I'll go straight to bed, tomorrow breakfast alone. I'm singing here thinking, how it might have been. The band's kind of sneaky, the crowd's kind of thin. Hasn't he got a great voice? It's very different. It's a very different... Once you've heard Jerry, you know every time that's Jerry. And he really is a top-class crooner. So thanks again, Jerry. Next up today, we have a guy called Danny Thomas. Danny's out of Portland. Um, a lot of us know him by his alter ego, which is his sort of made-up band called Fresh Spotless Youth. Um, it's one of my goals to try and convince Danny how good he is. Um, he is a everything he does is really interesting um and he also makes me smile with his comments um i saw one the other day which said i'm a failed conformist which makes it look like rebellion and that's a typical sort of danny comment um danny i can't really give you higher praise and say that you really remind me of the best australian singer songwriter called paul kelly now i know it's not an exact fit but there's something about your voice and your style that reminds me as i said as an Australian, I can't really give you any higher praise than that. So this is Danny Thomas with Fire Is Playing At Sunlight.
Isn't that a nice song? Quite simple, but really nice. I find his style quite relaxing, even though his words can be quite gritty at times, and it's quite mesmerising. So thank you very much, Danny. So we now wrap to the segment, uh, My Favourite Songwriter. And as I said before, we have uh, Alex uh, Clegis. Hello, this is Alex Clegis, also goes by Metalfoot on various songwriting sites. And um, I was asked by John Nicholson as part of his podcast if I could explain a little bit about who my favorite songwriter is and um, why and some favorite bits. And to me, this is a really complex question to answer, I guess. Uh, A little bit of background, I suppose, before I get into who I've chosen and why. I grew up, as many people my age did, listening to music on AM radio. Um, And so I didn't actually buy a lot of music or that sort of thing till I was a lot older. So my music collection, per se, kind of begins in the late 80s, early 90s. And I've done some backfilling of my personal catalog and such. But I would say that on some level, the music that most influences me starts in that late 80s, early 90s era. So although, for instance, I have great respect for the songwriters of the 60s and 70s, I can't say there's a lot of direct influence there. But I have great respect for them, like the Beatles, of course, everybody pretty much has them as an influence whether for or against what they're trying to do or Bob Dylan or people like that certainly Um, but as far as direct influences go I think it would be obvious to say that if you listen to the sort of stuff that I do in FOM and 5090 it's unmistakable that they might be giants as songwriters are probably one of my biggest songwriting influences on a subconscious level. And that would be mainly because of the combination of, I suppose, the ability to write songs with the absolutely absurd, as well as the sublime, the willingness to tackle pretty much every and any topic underneath the sun. Um, And just, having very smart, catchy pop tunes with everything that they do. Um, recently, uh, they through their email list, they provided a free copy of their Live in Australia recording of the Flood album, which I was amused to hear. They recorded the tracks on the album in reverse from the order that they're on the original Flood album. But Flood, as an album, is probably a bigger influence on my songwriting and probably one of my favorite albums of all time just because it is at once catchy and intelligent and ridiculously silly um i mean you have people fighting online about the meaning of lyrics like uh triangle man but at the end of the day it's just a really silly song uh Birdhouse in Your Soul, though, I think that is probably a prime example of the sort of brilliant lyric that I would like to write, where you have the narrative perspective of 
essentially a nightlight. A little blue canary nightlight is the narrator of the song. And in the course of the song, there's allusions to Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, there's uh, an evocation of the infamous Longine Symphonette radio, and so on and so forth. It's just a really fun song, and chord-wise, it's more complex than it might sound at first. If you've ever tried playing along with that song, you'll know what I mean. It is not an easy song to play along with, but the way they put it together just sounds so effortless, so very obvious that that's exactly how you'd write a song like that. Um, and so that's kind of what I think I try to do as well when I write songs, is try to sway away from the obvious three or four chord structures, but do it in a way that seems inductive and um, interesting. And I also try, as best I can, I suppose, to be a little clever in my lyrics and to make people think a little when they hear my stuff. Although, of course, I'm not averse to just doing stuff that's really silly as well. Um, but yeah, they're literally dozens and dozens of songwriters that I might call my favorite songwriters. Um, but as far as, for instance, the big project I've been working on right now is my uh, infamous periodic table project in which I'm trying to write one song for each of the periodic table elements. Um, that's the sort of thing that has gotten a lot of comparisons from friends and such to They Might Be Giants just because of both the subject matter and also the kind of um, tongue-in-cheek humor required to put such a project together. So yeah, not that they're my only influence or my favorite songwriter on any given day necessarily, but certainly they're one of my favorite songwriting teams, Flansburg and Linnell of uh, They Might Be Giants, and uh, so I wanted to give them a shout-out just in this little segment. Well, thanks, Alex. I must admit... I wasn't, I know of that band, but I wasn't very strong on them. I must do a bit more listening to them, so thanks for that. Well, next up today, we have Maddie Larson. And most of us know Maddie as Acoustic Maddie. Uh, Maddie is from Sweden. Maddie is a real knowledgeable person on lots of music. She has a degree in music, and she is a real artist. Um, and what do I mean by that? It's not just about the music. She does terrific videos. She has amazing sound effects on her songs. Her style is very dark and very alternative, and uh, I really enjoy listening to Maddie. We've actually collaborated a fair bit over the years. She was incredibly supportive of me in my early days of uh, doing a lot of uh, releasing a lot of songs, and encouraged me a lot. Uh, I'd say Maddie with Bill White and myself would be the three biggest uh, uh, listeners and commenters, commentators on new original songs. So that was my opportunity to say thank you for all your help, Maddie. And this is a song of yours called The Lighthouse Guy. Dear God, I never been for anything in my fucking life. Take me away from here. Please kill me. Oh, God. There is no God. You're alone. In this lonely 
told you that's nice and dark that's a very much typical um uh, maddie song next we have a guy called paul otterson he's probably not that well known to a lot of people i came across him on 5090 i think and i've every time i've listened to all the songs he does and i was lucky enough to catch up with him recently and ask him if i could have a song of his and he didn't just send me a song i think he sent me his whole catalogue which was very generous of him he says of himself that he's a coffee enthusiast a distance runner a proud houseplant owner and a long-time Form 5090 lurker. Well, the songs you played on there, Paul, you have every right to lurk because um, they really have been quite special at times. He has such a wonderful voice, so I hope you're going to enjoy this song with one of the longest song titles that I've seen lately, and this is Paul Otterson with The Order on the Seasons of a Borrowed Life. I've cut through the vision And I see your silhouette Your yeah, sound and revision Is curled now to the left Oh, darling, I remember The way you'd often move To the night sounds of November Heedless of the winter's gloom If forever was ours to scheme, how could we have known the 
Order of the seasons Upon a life borrowed I've counted and I've measured The currency of days Yes, taken at a leisure The turning of a page where once he sang so softly beneath the harvest moon all the melody now vacant just as the only room How nice is that? Uh, he does have a, a, a lovely voice, um, and that's a very nice song. So thank you, Paul. Well, again, it's time for our featured artist, and today we have Amanda Easton. Amanda is uh, described as a pop music artist. She comes from Sydney, Australia, and she describes her music as theatrical electronica pop, or old-fashioned melodies with postmodern beats. She has two albums out, or and three EPs. She's been lucky enough to have a couple of top 10 spots in the Australian independent music charts. Um, she's toured extensively with her music through Western Europe and Japan. And if that wasn't enough, she's got involved in loads of other um, music projects. Um, and the list of people that she knows, if you know anything about Australian music, is a who's who. People like Wendy Matthews, Richard Clapton, Powderfinger, Marcia Hines. And I am going to ask her in a minute about something else. I think she's done a TV show as well, which isn't on this, but I think I heard about. So welcome, Amanda Easton. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, so for, tell me, you did a TV show as well. Is that right? I did. I did. Like you, obviously, I, I love the, the whole radio slash podcasting thing. But um, a few years ago, I was running a, a showcase for female fronted bands and songwriters. And it was called Pop Tarts. And it was going so well. We did weekly showcases where we'd have, you know, five different acts coming up and um, doing uh, an original set of songs. And I thought, I'm meeting the best characters and hearing the most wonderful music. I want to turn this into something else. I want to record this for posterity, you know. And so I ended up making a TV show called Pop Tarts TV. And um, it was like a 13-episode show that was shown lots of, lots of different states in Australia, actually, where, where you'd see the live um, performances and I'd interview the artists backstage as well. Awesome. I actually, I actually talked to a guy last night from South Australia. He said he didn't know if you'd remember him. His name's Corey Stewart, and he is a guitarist, and he 
also did work with he did some work with and he remembers when you were doing pop tarts he said to me oh, he, and so he said he said he, he said i don't know if i met with naomi but we did cross paths a few times in sydney a few years ago so he's in south australia and he's still playing music as well so yeah. oh fantastic small I world, like half the people i know at least as through <laughs> pop tarts if i ever meet a female singer songwriter in australia that i don't know i'm like why don't i know you did you not do pop tarts because it went for 10 years all oh, right so what's happening now, Maddie? You, you are in a position in Sydney that you are able to do a bit of work now, is that right? Yeah, it started coming back about a month ago and um, it's different work though. So I was doing a lot of bigger shows, you know, with mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine piece bands and because of the restrictions, that's not happening. So I'm doing um, more solo and duo work but I'm so grateful for any work that is happening after not working for about three months. But I mean, having said that, I, I'm, I've, I've got one gig this week and I didn't have any gigs for the last two weeks. And normally I would do four or five gigs a week. So it's very different. Mm. The work is different and there's a lot less of it, but I'm still doing some. Are you, are you filling your time with any other musical things at the moment? I, I'm so busy, it's crazy. It doesn't mean that I'm actually earning any money. Yes, <laughs> yes. That is what most people are telling me. I think we can all relate to that. But, yeah, I'm doing so many music projects. I was already writing a new album when the whole COVID disaster hit anyway. So I've, well, I've probably finished it, but I'm, I'm doing so much writing at the moment that it, I might end up changing the album, you know, it's because it's not, mm. nothing is um, finished as such. It's just that I've written a whole lot of songs. I thought, okay, this is the album. But... Because I've been writing, so I've had more time to write. I want to kind of leave it a little longer in case there's some gems that I miss out on. So lots of writing, lots of online collaborations with people, either writing or just performing, a lot of duets and just exploring musical opportunities and music that I wouldn't normally have had time for because I'm so focused on you know, the work I'm getting paid for. And then I've got my original career with the songs I'm writing, but there's been more space to do other things. And I've absolutely filled a chock block with musical somethings. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've never wished COVID on the world, but it is interesting that, I mean, in whatever situation is down to you, you've got to try and make the most of. And I think it's interesting yeah. that I think musicians and a lot of other artists are, have had to learn different ways to get by to be honest with you i think i think Absolutely. we'll come we'll come out stronger i think you know we will come out and we'll come out stronger and we will have learned there is more than one way to do everything i think that's a good that's the only good thing i so agree i so agree my technical skills have improved my um studio uh, gear has improved. Um, I think video has become an absolute necessity of a skill for musicians, probably for most people now, because it's, it's our way of, you know, communicating with the world more than ever. And yeah. I really appreciate that. Like you say, nobody is happy about COVID, but apart from looking out at the world and being very unhappy about the situation, I've actually had a really lovely time personally from a creative point of view. Mm. So did you always want to be a singer stroke musician and did you start young? I, I did always want to be one. I, I remember my, my first thoughts of it were when I was about three and at um, kindergarten at, at school, I was the lead singer in the school play. And as soon as I got up there, I remember the blocks. Remember those blocks that you used to have? I don't know if you did, but in kindergarten on the stage. And I remember yeah. standing on the block and, and singing the song 
that I sang and just thought, oh, you know, I had this amazing feeling. I, I really, really love this. And so I felt like I knew really early. But having said that, I had, um, you know, lovely parents, but not parents that kind of wanted to encourage me necessarily in that as anything more than a hobby. And I was actually quite good academically, which made it harder because if I wasn't, they probably would have been happy for me to do anything. But because I did well at school and my dad was a lawyer and, you know, they had expectations academically. So as yeah. soon as I left school, I was expected and did go to university and I ended up studying journalism, which was really interesting, but it was definitely a second best choice as far as I was concerned. And when I finished, I did work a little bit in that area, more in the corporate side of that, like public relations, but I was always doing music on the side. And one day I just went, no, I look the whole, my whole life I've wanted to be a singer and I've let other people determine where I'm going. I don't want to do that anymore. And it took a long time and it was hard because, you know, I would tell people what I wanted and what I was going to do. And because I was actually doing really well in my corporate work, I was working for Microsoft, believe it or not, in their internal communications and I was earning great money. I was being sent overseas and, you know, from the outside, it looked like I had this great job, which I did but it wasn't the great job for me. And so telling people that actually this is not what I want, I really want to be a singer, I would get the kind of attitude, oh, okay, well, that's interesting or that's <laughs> brave or that's, yeah. you know, they kind of wanted to say stupid but were being polite. Yeah. And, I mean, my parents completely hit the roof. But event, yeah. I had enough support from some friends that, you know, I, I managed to do it and I've never looked back for a second. I've been so grateful that I did make the leap. <laughs> yeah, I look, look, I say bravo. I think, I mean, I know so many people that sit on that line and they don't know whether to, to go that way or not. It is very difficult when you have what is relatively comfortable, well-paid job to go into it as much as you love it. It is a it is, and it is a difficult industry, and so I say, well done. I think it's great that you did it. To be honest, um, I know lots of us that didn't, <laughs> but we're still having fun. But but I think that's great too. So so you started young. So when you started getting more serious, what were your your influences? Gosh, I, I grew up in a in a household that wasn't really into pop. Um, my mum would always sing opera around the house and she was not a professional singer, but I think that must have been, well, I don't know if that's where I get my voice from because I'm actually related to Sheena Easton on my father's side. So that's oh, always right. been a bone of contention in our, in our house. Where did I get my singing ability from? Because my mum was always the singer, but you know, who knows? But um, my parents both love music and so I grew up with the, hearing a lot of music but most of it was classical and I never wanted to be a classical singer although I appreciate the music I think at school I heard all the pop that um, mm. ended up influencing me you know yeah. it was top 40 that's what I was listening to what everyone was listening to you know Absolutely. growing up in the 80s as a little kid it was Banana Rama and Madonna and and I still um, have an appreciation for that kind of commercial bubblegum pop even though that's not what i'll put on on the record and, and listen to for my own sure, pleasure i still appreciate it and kind of like it so yeah. my, my um, taste definitely came from there but a lot of people say, say they can hear a little bit of jazz and a little bit of musical theater which is probably more my parents influence well, i think i mean i think that's good i think if you when you're younger if you get 
you get to hear all those different kinds of music. I think you're right. They all had a little bit of influence. I was certainly brought up in a not particularly pop house. Um, I was brought up in a, in a, my brother played classical. My mother played, you know, the old sort of what I call wartime song music. And, uh, and but there was always music. And then I listened to the yeah. charts just like you did. And I, I think, yeah. I think it, I think it helps to bring out that love of all music because I, I say that I like all music just to varying degrees. I'm the same. I'm the, I'm the same. You know, a song is going to move me. It's going to move me and I can't really control that almost. And, and it could be country or it could be classical or it could be whatever. And I've never been a music snob, I think, because there's been so much music mm. of all different genres around me. Because I'm married to a, a very nice man, but he's a music snob. Uh, so I know we're not all like, and he's a musician, so you know. And I, he, I he have does. been, I have been called it occasionally, but I, I try, I try really hard not to be, but I, I do yeah. get, I do get called it occasionally. My wife does. I don't think other musicians think I am, but I think some other people think I'm a little bit. I think, but there you go. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about well, how about we play a song? I mean, we did play a song of yours on an uh, earlier um, episode, but most a lot of people hearing this yeah, won't have heard, heard you. So um, let's have a break for a minute and let's play a song. I think the first song we're going to play is "I Saw the Message," and that's off the Postcards and Polaroids album. Is that right? Polaroids and Postcards. That's Polaroids right. Polaroids and Postcards. Yes. Got the wrong one. Yeah, Do you want to tell us anything about that song? <laughs> anything particular about that song? Yes, well, the the I don't know if all songwriters are the same. I'm sure a lot would agree with me that um, the inspiration of a song for me can come from all different sources. In that one in particular, it came from um, something that was happening on a TV show. It was a character that was being cheated on and basically saw, you know, a message from the lover. And But in my, in my case, I might get inspiration like that to start a song, but it, it's always about me in the end. Like, even if I don't think it is, even if I don't want it to be, your own experience, I think, um, gets poured in, whether you like it or not. And, I, you know, I had somebody cheat on me a long time ago. And um, so the song ended up be, being about the situation that, I experienced basically I saw um, on our shared credit card that my boyfriend had bought a bikini and it, it wasn't for me <laughs> so that kind of hmm. yeah that's not good <laughs> <laughs> yes okay well let's let's um apply I saw the message so this is Amanda Eason I saw the message saw the message that you sent I'm 
Okay, that's that's lovely, Amanda. Um, it's got a lovely build that song, hasn't it? It does really sort of build up. I mean, there's a tinge of sadness in there, but it's not it's not it's not um, slip your wrist material, is it? But uh, um, and the the, the voice like is the real tool, isn't it? The voice oh, is the real tool. Uh, the music frames it, but that's that is a real singer song, isn't it? I think I'm, I mean I play piano and um, you know I don't produce most of my songs I, I use you know professional producers but I think yes everything for, for me tends to be singing lead because that's my strongest instrument. Mm. Yeah I, th I think that's a that's a really nice song. Okay so I, I asked you um I asked you before about um your inspirations is there any particular people that, that, do you do you do you look at particular people's styles and you think that's sort of where I'm trying to aim for? Is there any particular things that you really like? Yes, um, I don't necessarily think I end up sounding like them. Um, sometimes I try, but I just don't. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I, I you know, I, I don't try, but I just love them. And and my probably one of my biggest inspirations is um, Goldfrapp. Oh, yes, not not yes. everybody. You, you know them, obviously, oh, yeah, not everybody yeah. knows them. Mm, yeah. I think they're, they're a lot bigger in Europe and the UK than they are in Australia, but mm. um, I just, I, I there's something about their music gives me the chills. I, mm. Her voice is nothing like mine, but yeah. I adore her voice. And I, I think in, in their case, they're def, definitely, it's about the voice as an instrument, especially yeah. that purity that she has in her voice is so gorgeous. And the beats and the, I, I find the music, it's kind of, I don't know, sexy and moving. There's something about that. And if I could sound like Goldfrapp, if I had, you know, the choice to sound like anybody, I would choose them. So I'd say yeah. that's probably the biggest thing. It's a bit other bands like Portishead that are a bit similar. Yeah. I, I, I was actually going to say this about, because obviously I've listened to all your songs. I, I actually, particularly with the song that we're going to play second, I, I, I can see elements of Evanescence too. You know, oh, that's such a compliment. Thank you. I love yeah. them. Uh, that's, I, I can, as yeah, you said, you know, the, when you say I can see, it doesn't mean you play and say, oh, there's that evanescence, but I can see that kind of style in your music. It is that kind of theatrical, um, where the, the, voice, sits, part, the yeah. voice sits a little bit, uh, it's not buried in the music like in some songs, which is, it should be, but in those, it sits there quite theatrical to the side, you know. And I, I think mm. uh, uh, that certainly was one of the uh, groups that 
I thought of when I heard you sing, particularly the second oh, song that I played. So, uh, so um, how how did you get into the industry? Look, I mean, there are people around who who are pretty good when there's loads. Of, I mean, the trouble is there's so many good people around. But yes. how did you actually get in? How, you know, if you've got young people who are trying to get into the industry, what what would you what would you say to them? Um, and what advice could you give them? I think the best advice is just to do it and to keep doing it. I mean, I remember when I started out, people would say things like, oh, it's all about who you know. And that would really bother me and upset me because I didn't know anybody. <laughs> but then as I've gone on in the industry, I realise I know people now, but that's only because I kept doing it and I put myself out there all the time. So, you know, in the, in the early days, I, I didn't start off as a songwriter first. I started off as a singer first. Yeah. So I I joined, I would do all the, you know, in, in those days before the online world, I would pick up the Sydney Morning Herald and they had the um, Saturday audition, they probably still do, but the Saturday audition sections. And I would go for everything and I'd barely got anything, but, you know, it only took kind of one thing that I did mm -hmm. get. Or, you know, same with the, the drum media, the music, um, local music magazine with all the auditions I would just go for everything and eventually something would take and I was out there you know doing gigs for free and um, you know trying to write with people you know would you come and write a song with me and just trying and this was before we had YouTube and all of those things mm, nowadays I think the big advantage is you can um, actually start to promote your work a lot earlier than you could in those days but yeah, I sure. just basically put my hand up for everything yeah, I think I think that's very good advice. If you really want to do it seriously, you've got to really, um, with, without being over arrogant, you have got to be pushy, haven't you? You've just got to really yeah, go push, for it. Push in, the, in the nicest way. I mean, I don't think I was ever particularly confident. I've always been kind of a little bit shy, and yeah. that's probably hard to believe now. But especially when I started out, I was. I thought everyone was better than me, which they probably were <laughs> when I started out. But I just wanted to be involved. So yeah. I think it's that willingness to kind of do anything. And I've always been, people often call me the, you know, the hardest working singer in Sydney or something like that. And it's, I'm always doing, I was always doing gigs. And part of that is my willingness to do different things. Mm. I think because I'm not a music snob, I would be happy to, um, you know, do a Lady Gaga tribute. And then I'd be happy to do, uh, you know, something that's the other end of the spectrum. I did, uh, um, you know, a jazz gig at the Opera House, which yeah. would be a lot more prestigious than doing a Lady Gaga gig. But I'm happy to do a whole lot of different stuff because to me it's all music and it all helps me grow yeah. and I love it all, you know. I think you're right. If you're willing to do a lot more, I think you've got... The people that say, these are my songs and this is how I sing them and you either like me or you don't, they've got to be mighty good to succeed. And they're the, the exception. Absolutely. I agree. I, I, I've written quite a number of songs that... I really don't like to put my name to, but they make money, you know. <laughs> That's the reality, you know. But um, yeah. um, uh, because often the pe what people want are willing to pay for is that mainstream group of people that perhaps, you know, if you're on the snobby side, you say it isn't particularly sophisticated, but... Yeah. If that's where the money is, you know, if people want little anecdotes written for their partners or or if they want little yeah. love songs or, you know, with no words, you know, I mean, the Beatles did like six years and 
multi-million dollars by never writing a word that had about more than five letters in really for the first eight years of their life you know and but people wanted it people wanted it so i think sometimes if you particularly if you're trying to earn a living i think you have to give away some of those um certainly the snobbery is very hard if you if you if you keep that you very hard to get a living i tell you I totally agree. And it's, I mean, I think everyone has to make their decision. You know, I, I've never felt like I've sold my soul. I've, no. cause I grew up with, um, you know, as I said before, I grew up with the, the whole classical thing, but I fell in love with the top 40 pop thing. So, you know, it doesn't make me feel bad or that I'm doing something against what I love. If I'm out there performing that kind of music or even writing that kind of music for people, that doesn't feel bad for me at all. For some people, maybe it does. And it is harder for them to be commercially successful if they're, mm. you know, holding on to a particular type. And I mean, music is so personal, isn't it? We have to make those decisions for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how about we go and play that song that I just referred to? And I guess we can let other people make the decision. Probably some of them be saying, what is he thinking? But um, um, <laughs> let's, so it's called Rockabilly Blue. Do you, do you want to tell us anything? That's off the same um, Polaroids and Postcards album, isn't it? That's uh, right, yeah. Where did, where did Rockabilly from. Blue come from? Well, the title came from somewhere different than the song did, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Sure. We all, as songwriters, want to want to have catchy titles, and I'm um, quite well known for changing the colour of my hair all the time. I, um, my mum was she's retired now, but she was a hairdresser, and so she experimented on me when I was growing up, and so she was always cutting and dyeing and curling and doing everything to my hair. You know, as a hairdresser, you want you want your own little model there, right? So I was that person, and I think it stuck. So every year, I pretty much changed the colour of my hair. And one year, I had um, blue hair all year, and the name of the colour was called Rockabilly Blue, which it just rolls off the tongue oh, so it well. Is a nice and, you know, sometimes I'd have people, you know, stop me in the street and say, "What's the colour of your hair?" And I go, "Rockabilly Blue," <laughs> and I, I wrote it down as a song title, but. Then um, a close friend of mine had a, you know, a bad diagnosis. He got diagnosed with cancer and he's fine now. But um, he was kind of a rockabilly type that I went to college with. And there was something, um, I don't know, something about the name that he had blue black hair when he was growing up. And I, I just thought of him. And so the song was like, in the, there's a lyric in there. This is my anthem to you, rockabilly blue. And so it's a song about us growing up together at college and me worrying that I was going to lose him. Okay, well, let's play Rockabilly Blue. We can be like a southerly buster, blowing up when we get together, but you're a cool change and I wouldn't want it any other way. You say my life is charmed to hold her in my arms, all the years and places we have seen me feel us like a flame. Now there's a battle to win And time comes And time goes And we're still Presents in my glove box and makeup on a boy. 
There you go. So now, as I said, that, that is quite different, isn't it? It's a quite different song. Um, synths, isn't there? There are synthesizers in the back there, I think. Yeah, yeah, I love my synths, and, that, and that's they, from my love of Goldfrap as well. You know, they, they, I've got the same keyboard as Goldfrap because I bought it because that's what they use, and <laughs> I love the sounds. The, I like the, the solid 17th. drum. I like the solid drum. The drumming, the solid drum in that is... That's, yes. I think that actually really lifts it up. And it's got heaps of emotion in the song, actually. It's very, it's, I've heard oh, a lot of emotion in that. Um, and it certainly has got that heavier, rocky element. And, and that's that's where I felt that. It's just that sort of theatrical, emotional, slightly synthesizing. You're right. I hadn't really thought of Goldfrap. I haven't heard of it. I used to, I had a friend in New Zealand who was 
very keen on Godfrey, and I used to listen to him, but I haven't listened to him for a long time. But now you say it, I can sort of see where you're coming you from. Can't on that. That. Yeah, yeah. So, so the sounds and and the drama. I mean, I actually wanted to get into musical theatre when I was growing up, and some of those auditions that I was telling you about that I would do were musical theatre auditions. But I can't dance, not well oh. enough anyway. I, I can groove on the dance floor like everybody, but I can't, <laughs> I can't, you know, put my leg behind my ear. And and to go to music theatre auditions, you had to do fairly high-level dancing. And as hard as I tried and I trained and whatever, I just couldn't do it. So I think you can hear a bit of the musical theatre drama in me coming yes, out in my song. absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, yeah, we won't go into dancing. We'll stay away from that. I think it has to be a little bit of alcohol. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a drunk, but I think there has to be a bit of an alcohol involved. For, for oh, me it does to loosen you up. Well, yeah, the danger is, of course, you start to think you might be good. <laughs> That's when it gets really nasty. <laughs> so, so, what's, so what's next? What's going to happen now? You, you're starting to get a few more gigs. Have, have you got any, have you, I mean, even if they're a little bit, dependent on circumstances what, what's the what's the ongoing plan well i'm um you know everyone's talking about pivoting in in this environment and when i first heard that it scared me because i'm like no i only want to be a singer i, I work so hard to get to where i am mm. i don't want to change what i do but i do understand the idea of pivoting and I have always um written songs you know on commissions so they tend to be personal. So, you know, a love song for my husband or a song dedicated to my kids. And so I've been trying to push that part of my work a little more because it's something you can do, you know, it's something you can still do in this environment because it can be all online. I'm also doing more live streaming. So there have been a few new platforms set up where you actually get paid to live, do live stream concerts. So I've um, put all the tech gear that I've needed to, to make that, you know, not just live streaming direct to my phone, but to do that properly. And so I've been focusing on that. I do think gigs will come back. It might be six months. It might even be a year. But I'm still going to focus on the live performing as my main thing. I really do think it'll, I think it'll come back really strongly when maybe it's a vaccine is needed. But mm. when everyone feels comfortable in going out again, they're going to miss you know, the shows that they used to go to. And some people are still do going out, but obviously it's a scary place out there. And especially, in, you know, well, not especially in Sydney, Melbourne's worse, but we could go that way. And um, people are nervous. So it's harder to do live shows now. I'm mm. still definitely going to do that. But I've, I've almost finished um, writing a new album too. So that's the next major oh, push. Right. And yeah. And, and that, how, that's long, how, long, how long is that away, do you know? I think it'll probably be about November by the time, um, you know, all the recording and the mastering and the artwork and everything sure. gets done. All takes time, doesn't it? It all takes time. Uh, it always takes longer than you think, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it Absolutely. <laughs> everything takes longer than we think. Yeah. So, look, thank you so much for being with us today, Amanda. I think we'll, we're going to play out to a, another song and I'll get you to tell us a bit about that and then we'll say... Uru to you, and um, and the song is called "Dance to the Mu Dance to the Music in My Head," and that's off of the "Dance to the Music." Oh, that's out from "Out of the Blue." Out, that's from "Out of the Blue," right? Yes. So, tell me about "Dance to the Music in My Head." 
once again, the title comes from somewhere different than the rest of the song. I, um, as you mentioned earlier, I used to do backing vocals for Wendy Matthews and I was touring with her. And there was one particular gig um, that we were doing. She, I don't, don't know how well you know her, but in, in Australia, certainly, you know, oh, well, you've been here for a long time. So you would, you would know the song, um, The Day You Went Away. Sure. It was her big ballad and her number one hit. And it's the most beautiful song. And it was always one of my favourite times when I did backing vocals for her when that song would come on because it's a song that I grew up with and suddenly I'm on stage with the singer doing it. It was a big thrill. And everyone in the audience would always kind of wave their arms because it's a beautiful, slow, languid song. One particular time we were doing performing this song live and there was one woman in the audience among all the swaying people really getting into the song, there was one woman disco dancing. It's like, that woman is not listening to what's going on here. She's got a song in her own head that she's dancing to. So I think she's dancing to the music in her own head. But then, you know, I kind of hit a road bump in my life and, um, you know, things weren't going well. So I felt like I was living in my own head. You know, that feeling where mm, the world outside mm. is too hard to bear, so you live in your own head. So yeah. as usual, the song became about me, but <laughs> it did start there. That's great. <laughs> All right, so thank you so much for being with us today, uh, uh, Amanda. And we'll, um, I hope you've enjoyed yourself too as much as I've enjoyed talking I've to had you. A so, time. Thank well, that's you. great. So thank you for being here. Um, we're um, putting links to your music. Oh, we have a Facebook page, I think, as you know, and on the Facebook page, in the uh, in the comments to the um, to the actual episode, we'll put links to where people can find your music as well, all right? We're trying Fantastic. to do that for all artists now as well. So if you like Amanda, don't forget you can support these people as well because these guys are, you know, it is difficult in the industry and so whatever support you can give them is always wonderful. So we're playing out today to Dance to the Music in My Head. Thank you so much, John.
Thank you again, Amanda. That was really entertaining. Um, she is, uh, was a great person to interview, and I'm sure we all got some insights out of that. So thank you again, Amanda. Well, I think song-wise, we're going alternative again. Um, this is another person I've stalked and listened to for a couple of years at least now, uh, with the name of Technicolor Gramophone. Um, he puts out, uh, every year to my year his style changes a bit you can't mistake him once you've heard him but he certainly does different things he's out of florida um he does fantastic artwork on his uh, on his cds um and uh, i really enjoy his different style of music so thanks scott for providing this song um i see you've gone into uh challenge with portison for the longest song title with the sun the stars the sea and the sky so here we go Like a plume of smoke from the love 
unique style isn't it um really interesting it does vary quite a bit but i i think his style is something worth listening to it's really good well a bit different now um next up we have a, a guy called clark mormon um i know clark out of uh, the group 100 days of songwriting and we've caught up a few times on zoom um clark is a Monta- montana based indie pop musician um and he says his music draws equally from lo-fi and moody alternative rock. He also says that he comes from, I think the Washington Post described it as the most middle-of-nowhere town in the lower 40 states. Well, Clark, if you were where I am today, you'd realise I understand exactly what you're talking about. Uh, He also said, as a a passing point, that this song was written in lockdown and... uh, Things were getting a bit crazy by then, and he said, if you listen really carefully, there's a spot where you can hear his roommate smacking a frozen chicken on the kitchen counter. Uh, actually, Clark, you've got to be pretty good to hear that, but um, um, I know what you mean. Things were getting a bit strange in isolation there for a while. So here is Clark Mormon with She's At It Again. <laughs> I slash my tires cause I'm bored and I have nowhere to be I gouge my eyes then took a bath of milk and gasoline There's something to the thought of never saying nothing again So I pull my teeth and hammer them into one bed Lying again 
wishes at it again Glory to God I think she's at it again That's a really nice song. Thank you very much for that, Clark. Well, last up today, it's a guy called Roddy. Now, Roddy is a Scottish singer-songwriter, and pre-COVID, he divided his time between Scotland, Spain and Australia, um, Australia being where his daughter lives. Um, he has a lot of musical friends in all those locations, and while he's there, he plays a lot of live uh, local venues. He's a very fine musician that does lots of different styles of music. At the moment, he's actually working on a number of instrumental ukulele pieces based on Spanish influences. So that's not what he's doing today, but it really does do a very wide range of stuff. Um, now, I won't tell any more because I'm going to pass over to Roddy. He's going to introduce the song himself. Hello, this is... Uh, I got the idea for writing a song called Reverse Country Waltz. And it's, uh, I suppose, illustrates how you can get an idea from all sorts of different sources and they can just spark off a songwriting uh, process. Uh, the song came about after my wife was reading the book and she said, there's a joke in here you might like. It says this, what do you get if you play a country song backwards? And the answer is, you get a man who quits drinking and gets his wife back. It's quite funny, but it struck me that this was an idea for a song. It was, it was too good to miss up. So I wrote a country song, which, just like the title, is a waltz and is a country music song. Uh, it's really about a man who decides to reflect on his life, make some changes, and has some hope for forgiveness and for redemption. The music, you know, reflects the title being a country country music waltz, but also I put in a rocky middle uh, in the middle section and then did a key change to lift it up for the final verse. And that's how I got the song Reverse Country Waltz. Play the country song backwards You're crying there's a man who quits drinking and gets his wife back again. Well, I wish I could do that. Just go back in time. I take a big old sledgehammer and get these troubles of mine. I would stop myself doing the things that went wrong. Go backwards, get better. Like that old country song It's the three to one, three to one Reverse country dance Rewind our lives From blues to romance Turn back the times To before it went wrong With the three to one, three to one Reverse country song was bright Go down to those crossroads and This time turn right I would stop myself from saying The things that cause you pain And just tell you I love you Again and again It's the three to one Three to one Reverse country one 
dance our way back to the truth from the vaults and rewind our lives to before things went wrong with the three to one, three to one reverse country song. And I no longer care who lost and who won. I just want to repair the damage I've done. Oh, I know I can't do that. Can't go back through the years, but it's got me to thinking about facing my. Into the future with one eye on the past. It's the three to one, three to one, reverse country waltz. Dance our way back to the truth from the false and rewind our lives to before it went wrong. With the three to one, three to one. Earth country song. Isn't that a really nice song? It struck me, I was only listening to it uh, the other day and I suddenly thought, wow, that's very Randy Newman-ish. A really, really good song to end the podcast. Because yes, that is it. That is the end of another episode. Uh, Please remember, I I really want to keep things fresh. and I'm really happy to consider other ideas for segments or things that you want to hear or see. So, you know, please feel free to contact me on the Facebook page or at coolparadiso at gmail.com, C-O-O-L-P-A-R-A-D-E-E-S-O at gmail.com if you've got suggestions, ideas. Um, I'm trying to keep a balance. I I have two uh, different audience segments. Clearly, I have a lot of songwriter musicians but i also have a lot of people just come along to listen to good music and so to that end i try and keep a balance to keep everybody happy um to that end i will be doing a bit more for songwriters and and things on the actual facebook page well that's it for today so okay um thanks for listening uh keep sharing it with all your friends um we want to keep growing this podcast um so stay safe this is cool paradiso from rural queensland Signing off.